0: Well, amen. Thank you, Tim. Brought tears to my eyes. I, man, I just don't deserve, and I know I don't, but I really don't. You know, isn't it awesome that we can even be here? Uh, turn with me to uh, the book of First Peter. Chapter 3, our text today is verses 13 through 17. I just ask you to stand in our God's honor as I read His wonderful Holy Word. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts... Master, here we are again, Lord. We are hungry. Feed us, Lord, from your word. We are thirsty. Quench that thirst. We are blind. Heal our eyes that we may see. God, you know all about our maladies, our infirmities, our weakness. But this isn't about that. This is about you. We expect you, God. We long for you as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for the living God. I pray, Father, that you would continue to move by your wondrous Holy Spirit among us, Lord. Because without you, what's it matter? So move among us, Lord, as we continue to offer our very selves to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, I actually go back to verse 12 as we look at our text. and This is the way it's supposed to work. This is the way life's supposed to work. Verse 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's why we say, live for God. A righteous person is one who is willing to proclaim the truth, live the truth, trust in the truth, have a confident glow, which is the joy of the Lord, and the face of the Lord is there for the one who is righteous. But the one who ignores God, the one who just has no time for God, who rejects God, it says that the Lord's not there. The Lord's against them. Matter of fact, the next verse, he says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Hey, I do good. Things are good. Things are supposed to be good. That's the way it moves. I love that Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. What's he saying there? Just trust God, hey, Amen. If you trust Him, if you do the right stuff, it's good. God will bless you. And then He says, "Dwell in the land." What's that mean? It just means follow His word. It just means walk with a living God. May your life be in tune, be in sync with a living God. And there, he, what's He says as a result of that? In verse three of Psalm thirty-seven, safe pasture, hey, man, things are going to be good. Things are going to be comfortable. Things are going to be like I want it. If I just delight myself in the Lord, He will provide the deep desires in my heart. That's what we're looking for. Like I said there in the Scripture, verse 13, it's going to harm you if you do good. Then we come to verse 14. But even if you should suffer... For what is right, you are blessed. This particular little word, if, it's used four different ways in the New Testament. This is the most rare of those times. This means this is unusual. This means you do good. You follow God. You trust God. This means you dwell in the land. But there's no safe pasture. There's suffering. Things aren't going as you plan. It was interesting in our Sunday school lesson. It was talking about, we talked about prayer. And and how many times we feel as if our prayers are unanswered. They don't go like we want them to go. And trouble follows. Well, this morning, as we look at this section of scriptures, you look on your outline, I've listed here five principles to endure undeserved suffering. You see, what happens most of the time, if you walk in a minefield, you're going to step on a landmine. It's going to blow up and there's suffering that comes from that, right? And when we step outside of God's will and we get hurt, it's like, okay, I get it, God. I know I deserve that. But what happens when you do what God wants and you're hurting? Somebody's hurt you. Somebody's brought evil to you, even though all you did was good. That's what we're going to look at this morning in the section of Scripture. Five principles here in the text. The first one, as far as the injustice is concerned, be happy. Wow. Now that goes against the grain, as they say. That's not how our minds work. Look at, look at the text. He tells us, even if you should suffer for what is right... You are blessed. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? It's, it's found in Matthew chapter 5. And we have what we call the Beatitudes. You know, someone said it's the Beatitudes. This is the attitude you should have. It should be a part of your life. And he, he closes in verses 10 and 11. And this is actually from the uh, Good News translation. He says, happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy are you, get a hold of this. Happy are you when people insult you. I didn't know blessed out means blessing. And persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. Be happy and glad for a great reward is kept for you in heaven. This is how the prophets who lived before you were persecuted. What's he saying? He's saying, keep your eye on the prize. If you are persecuted because you love me and you follow me and you live for me. Guys, that is not ultimately a curse. He says it is a blessing. Because you are living for what will last forever. As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what happens in following Christ. He said, so just remember, if for doing good, for following Christ, you face suffering and you face persecution, there's a reward that follows. Secondly, do not panic. Do not worry. Notice what he says. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Two different words here that are used. The first talks about a state of panic that makes you just want to turn around and run. You know, the, the idea of flight to take off and to get away. And the other is the idea of you are just consumed in your mind with the situation. <laughs> uh, i read to you some words from Walter Kelly. He wrote, Worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster, belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Kind of deep. A dense fog that covers a seven-city block area 100 feet deep is composed of less than one glass of water divided into 60,000 million drops. Not much is there, but it can cripple an entire city. And, And listen to the sentence he closes with. When I don't have anything to worry about, I begin to worry about that. So, Peter tells us from the Holy Scriptures, he says, don't, don't live in fright. Don't be consumed with fear. Don't let that be what guides you. Third, set apart Christ as Lord. Notice in verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Uh. Psalm twenty four one tells you uh, what God's in control of. It says, "The earth is the Lord's, the whole world, and all the people who live in it." Now, that's pretty inclusive. God owns it all. You know what we say? This is my house. Mm-hmm. This is my job. This is my church. This is my family. This is my wife. These are my children. No, they belong to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. And we kid ourselves if we think that at any moment he chooses, he may just take back what we believe is ours. And guys, it never was. It never was. I think of this in regard to uh, automobile wrecks. We all have people that we've loved and cared about that have died in automobile wrecks. Uh, when I was younger, I had this one friend. Um, you know, we hung out with. There were like a dozen of us young guys that lived within two mile radius, and we had a sports league. We did it all. Well, we weren't very good at it, but we did it all. We had teams of two or three in the sports league. You know, like four teams, and man, we had a schedule and everything, and and what we would try to accomplish. And one of the guys that was uh, hung out with was a guy named Gary Parker, and Gary would. Uh, he was about two years older than I was. And, and uh, he had done some painting. And he played basketball in these boots. I don't know how he did it. They had paint all over them. I called him his psychedelic boots. And he beat me at basketball in those psychedelic boots. Still hurts my feelings. After all this time. But I remember one day, the guys, we met. I don't even remember what sport it was. We met to play some sport together. And I said, where's Gary? He said, Gary died last night in a car wreck. Another guy, a friend of mine, Luke Snyder, he and his wife had the most beautiful little boys, twins. Still see them, blonde-haired little boys. Died in a car wreck. You could tell me stories like this. And I remember one day my best friend, Barry Johnson, he, he came by to pick me up. They were in a reinforced police car. We're in a wreck that totaled the car. And when they walked out of the car, they said "If there had been one more person in the car. Everybody would have died, and it just so happened I wasn't at home that night, so I didn't go out with the guys. We don't know how long we will be here, and we think this all belongs to us, and none of it does. It is God's. And as we think about persecution, and we say, This shouldn't happen to me, I'm not in charge, I'm not in control. And this might hurt your feelings, but neither are you. One of the great examples of this in the midst of suffering is Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Not Stephen Gillen, but uh, Stephen the deacon. Uh, Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. We've picked on Stephen enough today already, hadn't we? I better cut him some slack. Uh, Stephen shares a Holy Spirit-filled message. And it was not Kumbaya. Everybody's happy and have a joyful time. I want you to see what happens here. Verse 54. Here's a result of his spirit-filled preaching. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. They did not want to hear what God was saying because it was convicting. And they didn't want to change. Notice verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The worst possible time he preached. <laughs> they were not open. They, they were so angry. that the gnashing of the teeth. They were furious. And it says, at this... Verse 57, they covered their ears. We're not listening anymore to you and what you have to say. Yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen, rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Man, began to take his life, to execute him, stone him to death. After he'd had this vision of Jesus. And um says a guy, young guy was looking at him. Uh, saw God get a hold of him later, a little guy that God used. We know about him, Paul. It says, while they were stoning him, he began telling those no good, filthy, slime off. No, that's not what happened. Don't, you have to read. Don't just listen to everything I say. You got to read. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Here's an example of uh, undeserved suffering. But he saw Jesus. He saw the blessing of Jesus. (laughs) And he did not live in the worry of the moment, but he looked to the Savior. He looked to the Savior. Why? Because his life was set apart for the Lord. It wasn't about revenge. Fourth, uh, as far as others are concerned, be ready to give a witness. Verse 15, you know, he says, um, set apart Christ is Lord in your hearts. And your hearts set him apart. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason, the hope that you have. And I love that next part. We leave that off sometimes. Do this with gentleness and respect. I mean, when you have that opportunity to share, it's not like, <clears throat> Get me a notch in my belt. For Jesus... I don't like that stuff. Gentleness and respect. You share with them, but you don't yell at them. You love them. With the message of Christ. And look, when you are living like this, when people are persecuting you and insulting you, making your life miserable because you love Jesus, there's going to be some people going, What? What? What is going on? Is that guy a nut or what? They're going to know what is going on. How do you do that? How do you not attack when attacked? How do you have a peace? How is this? How? And it's the perfect opportunity to say, let me tell you about Jesus. He is my hope. He is my life. And and that's the joy to be shared. There's an old English term in the... Old Authorized King James Version of the Bible in Hebrews ten thirty three, called a gazing stock. It said you become a gazing stock, and when you live for Jesus and do what is totally unexpected, you're a gazing stock. That's the call. By the way, uh, turn uh, back to First Peter chapter three. Here's what blows me away. If you go back up to uh, verse twenty. In 21, he says, How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Verse 21, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. How? God says, I'm called. This is a calling. We talk about the man of God is called. It doesn't happen much. It's unusual if this should happen. But if it happens that you are persecuted for the cause of Christ. It's not a curse. It's a call. Why? Because it's a wonderful witness of the saving power of Jesus Christ. Hey guys, that's what it is about. Fifth, keep a good conscience. Look at verse 16. He says, Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Integrity is powerful. If you live for Jesus and you love Jesus and you love people and it's that way day after day after day after day, It speaks so loudly. People have to hear you whether you speak or not. That's what he's talking about here. I love, uh, I got to thinking about a verse. uh, Okay, memory. Years ago, I know I memorized this verse. Where is it? So I looked. finally looked it up. It's uh, Proverbs 20, verse 7. I thought it was amplified. But here's how old I am, guys. It's the amplified classic version. Now, I've heard a Coca-Cola classic. But I didn't know there was amplified classic. So maybe I'm Todd classic. Getting classic. But Proverbs 20, verse 7 in the Amplified Classic, for what that's worth, it says, But the righteous man walks in his integrity. Blessed, happy, fortunate, enviable are his children after him. Man, I got to think about that. It brought tears to my eyes. What's he saying there? Hey, just walk it day after day, moment after moment. Walk with God. And what is the blessing that comes from that for the people around you? It says your children, but your relationships are ready. What is the blessing? It says happy. Blessed. Fortunate. Man, you're fortunate to have someone like that in your life. Enviable. People are saying, man, I wish I had a, a dad or a mom like that. Wish I had a brother or sister. like Wish I had someone like that. That, that's what happens with integrity and that's what he calls us to and it is a powerful powerful witness Proverbs 16 verse 7 in the NIV and doggone it they've changed this thing up with the, the new you know I memorized stuff in the 1978 and now the 2000 whatever is anyway i am quit rumbling. Proverbs sixteen seven, it says when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord he makes even his enemies live at peace with him think about that When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Really? Wow. That's the power of Christ. Even the people that are opposed to you, they see something in your life that's attractive, that they want, that they desire. And man, I can't yell at him forever. God's doing something in his life. We all talk about Job and we talk about suffering. His name means object of enmity. That's what Job means. Object of intimity, enmity. I can say that word. Um, I guess in modern terms, I thought, he's the guy with the target on his back. I remember reading this illustration years ago of a guy named Brian Heloise. And he had one of those days, and I don't remember everything that happened to him, but he had it was like 15 things that happened to him that day. And he gets to the end of the day. He had gone to a confederate um, you know, one of those Confederate war scenes that they do reenactment—that's the word. And uh, anyway, he came back and he jumped in his car. And he—here's how his day ended. He forgot that he put his bayonet in the front seat, so he ended up at the hospital. Brian said, "I had one of those days where I thought God's just trying to kill me, and he keeps missing. He keeps missing. Hey, um, God works through that pain, though." Keep your integrity. Uh, Let me close uh, with a story. I don't know if this is true or not. I told Cindy this story last night. And she said, I don't know if that... But that's not the point. If it's a true story. I don't know. But I was touched by the message of it. Happened in a changing neighborhood. Uh, That used to be a calm place. But uh, quite honestly, there are gangs, drugs just wasn't safe. And there was a, a guy in the neighborhood, um, call him Brad. And Brad had lived there for over 50 years. And while he was working, he would take the bus, and people would even worry about him, because he was injured in World War II, and he, you know, he walked like Festus. You ever saw gun smoke, you know, with a limp? And... uh he saw this ad in the paper when he was 87 years old at the church in the neighborhood. That they were looking for somebody to care for the garden behind the parsonage. And uh, Brad said, Yeah, I can do that. And so Brad shows up and he starts taking care of the garden, watering it and everything. One day, several guys from a gang showed up. Oh, man! Oh, man! How are you? He says, great guys you want to drink from the hose yeah sure walk over there to him, grab him they throw him down take his wallet and his retirement watch they run off <laughs> come back a couple of weeks later um Brad he, he was able to get up and finish the garden and people checking on him so they come back a couple of weeks later here come those guys again hey guys you want to drink from the hose yeah, sure. They take the hose and they just wet him down. Wet this old man down. Then they take off cussing and laughing, calling him names. Again, they, some of the people kind of come to his rescue afterward. Brad, you okay? Yeah. Don't worry about me. Just a couple of punks that need to get right. You know, it'll be okay. All right. A couple weeks later... One of the guys comes back. He was the leader of the group, the tallest young man. Comes back and Brad begins to get a little nervous, you know. Want to drink from the hose? He says, it's okay, old man. I'm not here to hurt you. Pulls out a bag, hands it to him. He says, in this bag's your watch and your wallet, even all the money's in it. He said, "Uh, man, I just couldn't sleep. I kept thinking about you. We we'd come and we'd pick on uh, people who you, we knew we could pick on. People like you. And he said, "Yet we'd come back and you wouldn't mistreat us. You wouldn't yell at us. Man, you were crazy enough to offer us a drink from that water hose." He says, "I, I don't I don't understand." Huh, said Brad. He said, "Well, you." You didn't hate us for hating you. You kept showing love against our hate. <laughs> he said, uh, The bag's my way of saying thanks for straightening me out, I guess. <laughs> Later uh, in the winter, Brad died and they had a funeral. As the pastor got to nosed he over by himself in the back corner of the church said a young man, his arms covered in tattoos, his hands calloused. He recognized him. And as he spoke about Brad, he talked about the garden. And he, he said, do your best to make your garden as beautiful as you can. And we'll never forget Brad and his garden. It wasn't too long after that, as spring came around the corner that they put out another notice for somebody to take care of the garden. People were busy. Nobody came by at first until a young man showed up with tattooed arms and calloused hands. He looked at the pastor and he said, "Uh, I guess this should be my job if you'll uh, let me have it. He said, yeah, I know you want to pay tribute to Brad. It's your job so he took care of that garden. One day he came to the pastor and he said, "Uh, I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to give up taking care of the garden. He says, "Uh, because my wife gave me the news that we're going to have a baby. And I don't think I'm going to have enough time to take care of the garden. And the pastor said, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Tell me about the baby. It's a little boy. And we're naming him Brad. (laughs) Uh, God does something supernatural when we love Him. Regardless of what we face. Why is this happening? Even if this happens to me. How could this happen to me? God's up to something. He wants to make his name known. He wants to show people that he saves, that he transforms, that he wants to do a work. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Lord, we tend to whine and complain. I know I've got the t-shirt, as they say. Uh, But Father, I, I pray for us this morning. You know where we are. Um, There is a power that is available in Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus to live. I mean, not just live. I mean, to live. So that people see that there is eternal life. And I pray this morning, maybe there is one here who is ready to receive eternal life, to trust Jesus. The one who empowered Brad to uh, not hate. Father, I, I pray if one's here and it's time to trust Jesus and be forgiven, to follow through with baptism, to say, I, I, love, I love Jesus. He's my Savior. Uh, now's as good a time as any just to bow the heart and say, forgive me, a sinner. Enter my life, Jesus. Give me a new start. Pray, hopefully there's someone here and, and that prayer is real. If they have prayed and received a, a Savior, a Lord maybe for the rest of us here. And Father, uh, we're we're struggling. Um, maybe someone here is suffering because of their faith in You. Help them see that it's not a waste. You're up to something, God. I pray for all of us that we would begin to see that to follow You is what matters most. And even when we are suffer for that, it's not a curse, God. It's you at work. It's a blessing. So, Father, with an altar open, maybe someone needs to come pray at the altar. Maybe one of us needs to tell the church family something you're doing in their lives. I don't know. I just want to see you move. And and so, Father, I just want to get out of the way and ask you to be free to move in our lives, our hearts, for the glory of God this morning. Because that's what we need. And so, Father, as we prepare to stand, as we prepare to sing, may we also be willing to obey you whatever you ask. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together.